Awesome. Sure. Well, uh, welcome. Thanks so much, Tony Bacigalupo, for joining me here. This is, uh, and welcome to everyone who's joining us. This is 20 and 20, the co-working edition, where we ask 20 questions in 20-ish minutes. Tony will probably go about 30 minutes. Ooh, and okay. the intention is leave people feeling uplifted, informed, inspired. I'm your host, Lisa Skyhane. In this particular edition of 20 and 20, and during the month of June, we're connecting with industry experts, operators, former operators, vendors, and of course, most importantly, our co-working members who help us to pay the bills and keep the lights on for everyone. And we're learning how together we will weather this storm called COVID-19, this global pandemic. Who could have seen this coming, right, Tony? So uh, yeah. co-working as a term has been uh, defined for over a decade, as you well know. Uh, the, the executive's uh, office suite, though, business and industry has been around 30, 40 years or so. People have obviously come together and worked in formal spaces. The office space and real estate industry in general, like many industries, has been impacted heavily by this pandemic. And so I believe co-working will survive and ultimately thrive. How we'll get there, how long it will take, that's what remains to be seen. And that's what we're going to talk a little bit about here today. So welcome, Tony Bacigalupi as my guest. Bacigalupo is my guest. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Lisa. Thank you for pronouncing my name correctly. And you did on the first try. I heard it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it is... Uh, now is uh, a really important time for us to be having these conversations. So uh, I'm glad that you're doing this. And I think your intention is exactly what we need to be cultivating more of is just optimism, hopefulness. There's a lot, a lot to be optimistic about uh, if we take the right approach. So I'm excited Agreed. to dive in. Agreed. Thanks. So everybody, Tony Bacigalupo is a gatherer, an MC, a strategist, an artist. He's a facilitator of Meaningful Connection. He's also the co-founder of New Work City, which uh, was founded back in 2008 in New York City, the first co-working space. You ran that space for about eight years. Is that right? Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, including the ramp up time. Yeah, it yeah. was, a, I call it a seven year panic attack, but it was also, uh, and you know, <laughs> You know, uh, just an absolutely beautiful experience. You know, we we had no business building a physical workspace. Uh, we had no money, we had no experience, but uh, but we did it. We got away with it, and we built something really special. We had a lot of fun, fun memories, and a lot of those people are still very close friends uh, even to this day. And you've become now an expert and really a go-to person for some of the global co-working conferences. And when anyone wants to know more about community connection, especially in the workspace, they're coming to you to speak on panels and uh, featured speakers and what have you. Yeah. 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 I've, uh, I've, I've kind of built a little niche for myself as a speaker in the co-working world. I have a lot to say about community building um, and, and building kind of meaningful, authentic connection. I'm not so much, uh, into the workspace operation side of things. I think workspace is a vehicle for people to connect in new and better ways, which we'll talk more about. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's where I've, I've really gotten an, kind of a, a relatively unique angle of something to offer. Mm -hmm. um, and honestly, it all still applies as much as ever now in this, mm -hmm. in this era. You know, we've talked in the co-working world for a long time about even if our doors have to close for some reason, if the, you know, God forbid the building burns down or something, our community is still here. Yeah. And we're all in that place right now. We might be in it for a long time. And so it's, it's a time for us to really understand what, what a co-working community really is about yeah. and why you don't need the workspace in order to do it well. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. Um, you were born and raised in New York City. Well, born in New York City. You were raised in Long Island. little fun fact about you, your first business was selling photocopies of your hand-drawn 
comic books in your middle school. So you've always been kind of entrepreneurial and, and now you're offering workshops, which you're going to learn more about as well today. So should we jump into our first question? Let's do it. All right. So what prompted you to found New Work City? Well, I was working from home as a project manager for a web development firm, and I had been working from home for about a year, and mm -hmm. I thought working from home was awesome, um, way better mm -hmm. than having to commute to the office. But it was starting to drive me crazy being cooped up in my home by myself all the time. Does that sound yeah. familiar? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So this was, you know, 13 years prior to everybody else doing it uh, now for COVID. Yeah. But um, I, I just had this notion of there's got to be something that isn't the traditional office, but isn't me being stuck in my house. And I discovered that there was this thing called co-working and it was starting to grow as a movement. Uh, the word as we know it today was coined in 2005 by Brad Newberg in San Francisco. People mm -hmm. made it into a decentralized movement, which we'll talk more about later, so that anybody could take the idea of co-working and run with it anywhere. And, uh, and at the time, there were co-working communities in New York, but they were meeting in living rooms and cafes. Uh, and I wanted a co-working space. And uh, a lot of other people did too. And so um, I ended up just so passionate about it that uh, I decided to lead the charge to open the space. And for me, it was really about finding a, a room of people where I felt like I belonged and where I felt like I was accepted. Mm -hmm. And really, before I had found co-working, I had never been in a room of entrepreneurs my age who worked for themselves and ran their own small businesses. Mm -hmm. And so to find those people and then feel like I was accepted by them and yeah. to feel like I could be a part of them and to be encouraged to grow my business with their support. I just wanted that. I wanted more of that for lots of other people. I saw that as the way out for people who weren't happy with the traditional employment model or, or even with working from home. And so um, that, was, that was a big part of why I got into it was I oh. wanted to show people another way. Amazing. And so you already said it. I am laughing so hard on the inside and outside that you said that it was a seven-year panic attack functioning, <laughs> functioning as an operator of a co-working space. So what, what was your, if you, there was one, right? Because I yeah. certainly know also from firsthand experience, God, sure. the challenges are never ending. But was there one biggest challenge that you would say you had as an operator? Yeah, I mean, the easy thing is to say money, right? And, mm -hmm. uh, but I, I would say that just to say it in a more nuanced way, it was finding the right relationship between my business and me mm -hmm. and then and then constructing a model that made sense for that for 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 that relationship and so since then i've i've helped lots of other people kind of examine what kind of approach that they could have to their co-working space and you know in some cases people want to build an empire and it can make them a lot of money and that's great some people want to build a small business and they just have to have the proper expectations about what that means um, and some people want to build something that's a side project and they want to make a living doing something else. And that's totally okay. And you can do that sustainably. You just have to design for it. What I struggled with because it was so early was that there were no templates for this that I could follow. And so I had a hard time being in this kind of in-between zone where I was kind of making a living, but not really. I wasn't sure if I wanted to make it a real business or not. Uh, and it wasn't until many years later that I realized that the whole thing was actually just a long-term immersive art installation. And mm. then once I came, once I realized that's what it was, then it all started to make sense. But by then I had already closed the business. So yeah, yeah that's, that's kind of the gist of it. Yeah. But, some, but again, you immersed yourself now in an industry that you wouldn't have been immersed in and wouldn't have been so tangibly aware of your 
ability to powerfully connect people and create communities and to do a lot of what you're doing now, right? Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm very grateful yeah. for the whole the whole experience. I, I met experience. folks like yeah. yourself along the way and so many yeah. more. Totally. So um, you have been obviously in co-working community building for over a decade. How has the landscape changed over the last decade in the industry? Yeah, in co-working, um, I mean, gosh, it's changed a heck of a lot, right, in the last 10 years. What I find interesting is that, uh, so Alex Hillman has this framework that uh, Alex Hillman's the found, one of the founders of Indie Hall in Philadelphia, one of the best examples of a really great community co-working space. And he uses this language of third wave, uh, three waves of co-working, uh, okay. kind of like you have in, in coffee or in, or in, or in ska. Uh, but like uh, the idea is that uh, first wave co-working was the totally community oriented people who really had the values right, but maybe mm -hmm. didn't necessarily have the business model figured out as well. And that really, th those folks really had the, the mantle of it when it first became a big deal in the early 2000s. And then basically the 2010 decade uh, was dominated narrative-wise by the commercialization of the concept. People came in who understood more of the serviced office side, knew how to make it more of a profitable business model, and... Mm -hmm. um, it was really led by uh, by by our old friend Adam at WeWork, and <laughs> yeah. uh, and and you know dominated the narrative was dominated by that. Um, but yeah. along the way, the co-working movement got much bigger and more diverse all sure. throughout that. And so there, as much as the narrative was shifted to these big corporate spaces, lots and lots of small independent spaces have been growing and into more and more specific niches. So you have a lot more women-focused co-working spaces now. Uh, you have more co-working spaces fo focused on specific interest areas, things like that, mm -hmm. making maker spaces, things like that. So it's gotten yep. just bigger and more diverse. Totally. And now the third wave that's coming in the post-Newman decade of the 20s, the 2020s, is, we hope, a hybrid of the two, where people really understand good community and good business. So I'm very mm. excited for what's to come. I was interviewed for three hours this morning uh, for a WeWork <laughs> documentary that's coming out in the winter. And um, there were a number of questions around uh, whether it's possible to scale and build community, which, in fact, why don't I just jump to that question now? Do you think that it's possible to scale a company and to also build and maintain a cohesive feeling of community, Tony? You know, for a long time, I thought I did. I, I did. I didn't think so, or I wanted to, to believe it, but I didn't see it. Absolutely, mm -hmm. you absolutely can. It's a matter of articulating and really understanding the the purpose behind what you're doing mm -hmm. in a way that other people can understand that and continue that uh, in a way that works for them. And so you see lots of examples of this of people of, of communities that are really good all over. Uh, and it's one of the things that I've been tracking in recent months is uh, communities that scale. And uh, it absolutely can be done in short. A bonus question. Who's doing it well? Anybody doing it well uh, right now? Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll give you an example uh, outside mm -hmm. of co-working just mm -hmm. because it's a little bit easier. Mm -hmm. um, the November project, which started out as a simple thing in Boston mm -hmm. uh, for guys who it was, it was a couple of guys who wanted to keep working out during the cold weather months. Mm -hmm. And they believed that with the right spirit, you could have a really amazing community of people get together and do workouts, even mm -hmm. if it's really cold outside. And so they started the November project and it's basically 628 AM uh, once a week 
people get together in a park somewhere and they do like high intensity interval workouts together. And yeah, okay. they, um, and they put all of these incredible community building elements into the experience mm -hmm. so that when you're new, they bring you right into the middle of the circle. They ask you questions mm -hmm. about yourself. Everyone's cheering, you know, nice. and then you go and you do these intense workouts with, with other people. And by the end of it, you're, you're deeply bonded to these people who were total strangers because you're all people who are crazy enough to get up at 6.20 in the morning and work out in 20 degree weather, right? right? And so that is all over the world. It's in like 54 cities mm -hmm. and it's a very replicable model. Mm -hmm. It's very straightforward, but it's based on this very simple principle that can be applied anywhere. Wow, very cool, cool. Um, so what does the word community mean to you? It's a term thrown around a lot. What does it mean to you? Yeah. Um, I think that it's unfortunately a word that's been co-opted tremendously. And, you know, a lot of people think of it now as nothing more than kind of a, a pool of customers to be marketed to. Yeah. Um, but a community it ultimately is about um, a shared sense of values and interests, um, some shared sense of consistency. Uh, there's a commitment there where uh, if you just hang out once with somebody then there's, there's no real community there. You can have a sense of community, but it doesn't really last. If you're yeah. saying, okay, we're going to meet in the park every Friday at five o'clock and we're all going to get together and do this thing and maintain that consistency, then, it's, um, then, then it becomes much more meaningful. Mm -hmm. and, then, um, and then it's meaningfulness. So it's, it's orienting around something that is valuable and significant to you. So it's hard to have a valuable community if you're not applying yourselves towards improving your life in some way together. Mm -hmm. um, so I think a healthy community is one where there's some element of growth or improvement that everyone's committing to together. So uh, grow growth and improvement, but consistent, consistent gathering, which I love that word that you're using. And you said activated as gatherers to me in a conversation we had earlier today. I yeah. love that. Woo, activated as gatherers. Yeah. So an activated group of people. There's a, there's a community for you, right? Consistently coming together. I think you're yes. redefining the term. We need to call Webster's. <laughs> I'll, uh, actually, it. Lisa, I'll drop, with you, I'll drop you a phrase everyone should look at if they're interested yeah. in this. Communities yeah. of practice. So communities of practice is a specific subset of communities of people mm -hmm. who get together to work on something that they're all working on. And mm -hmm. my latest thinking is that communities of practice are the absolute best kinds of communities because uh, mm -hmm. they foster the best bonds and there's the most growth to be had among everybody involved. I love that. Communities of practice to get together and work on something. Is that what I heard? Yes, absolutely. Cool. Yeah. Um, are we going back to offices after all of this? Sure. Oh, <laughs> Ever? Um, yeah, absolutely. We need uh, to get out of our home still. We need to be around other people still. A lot of people uh, have logistical reasons why they need to be in offices. But the relationship between us and the office is changing. It has been for a long time. Um, and it's going to continue to, and it's been accelerated. I believe it's Chris Hurd, who's been a very active voice in the remote work realm online, said that the remote work movement advanced 10 years in 10 days in the month mm -hmm. of March. There were so many companies that were a little further down the bell curve that were forced out of complacency and forced to figure out how to go remote. Mm -hmm. And for a lot of those people, a lot of those companies, they're realizing they don't need to work in the traditional way anymore, but also just everybody working from home is driving everybody crazy too. So let's re come back to the office, but let's do it in a way that makes sense. And so that might mean people working from home sometimes. It might mean people working from the headquarters sometimes when it's called for. 
And it might mean people working from local co-working spaces some other times. So if I live, you know, outside the city, maybe I work from home once or twice a week. Maybe I work from my local co-working space once or twice a week. And maybe I work from the headquarters where I get on the train and go downtown for the big meetings only once or twice a week. And so uh, a company still has its office footprint, but it might make it a lot, might make it smaller, might make it more flexible. It might go co-working. God, so much to consider here. So, so in general, what does the co-working industry have in store for it for the next six to 18 months? And, uh, six to 18? Yeah, yeah. It, it's a tough it time has, right now. This is my prediction. It's, 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 it's unfortunate, but I think we're going to see an apocalypse and then a renaissance. Um, I've already seen some of my favorite spaces close their doors. Yeah. Um, and, my, you know, I hope this reopening thing sticks, but logic tells me that we're in, we, we have much longer way to go. Yeah. And I think co-working space owners have to brace themselves for some realities around what's happening. And I think if landlords don't budge on the rent, then they're going to be sitting on a bunch of empty inventory and they're going to regret it. Uh, but I, I think co-working spaces are going to go through a rough time. A lot of them are going to close. But the founders of those spaces are going to be in a great position to capture the renaissance that's going to come when millions and millions and millions and millions of people reemerge from this, absolutely hungry for something new and ready to try co-working. So, you know, what I'm seeing now is a co-working space owner might be looking at, hey, I might close my doors this summer. Mm-hmm. But then next year, we're going to reopen our doors and it's going to be gangbusters. Mm-hmm. And so how can I invest in building a community that's independent of physical space in the meantime mm-hmm. so that I can lay the foundation for, you know, when all the trees in the forest burn down and there's room for new growth, I got my seeds planted. And I'm ready to sprout right back up. Meanwhile, nobody, nobody knew this is really uh, Tony giving me my pep talk as an operator. <laughs> <laughs> Inadvertently, you know, seriously, just in case you know, you're got, a co-working space owner who's dealing you know, with this, Jessie, Lisa. <laughs> yeah, Je- Je- I was gonna say, Jessie, who's on here, you know, she has an awesome, amazing brand called Oxvert, O X V E R T E. Sadly, two of her people came to clear their things out of their office space yesterday because she pivoted, and um, and now they're having to pull back and regroup and 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 you know really assess when she's going to be able to launch the business again, and so. I mean, this is a, it is a sad time, Tony. Oh, look at this. You are truly having a meeting in a park with a, a grasshopper <laughs> crawling on you. There but, is a grasshopper um, on my arm or something so like Jesse, it. Yeah. Jesse, that's a pep talk for you and me both. There's an apocalypse, but don't worry. The renaissance is coming. Um, oof. Um, Tony, what's the, what is uh, the joy list? The joy list. The joy list is a project that my friend Jillian runs. Um, she uh, and I are aligned in our mission to help eradicate the epidemic of loneliness, mm-hmm. uh, which is such a huge problem these days. Mm-hmm. And so Jillian and I have done a lot of work together in the last six months to examine that problem, see the best way to kind of approach it. Mm-hmm. She's done so much to really unearth all of these great programs people are doing in this. I would say kind of there's this next level of co- community uh, gathering that mm-hmm. she's really zeroed in on where there are events, so many events just kind of suck or they're okay, right? We're like, I could be in New York City under non-COVID conditions and there are thousands of events happening every night and yet I don't feel like going to any of them. Why? Well, if I'm I'm single or if I'm alone or if I'm lonely, if I go out to these events, most of them are events where I just go and I consume the content 
And maybe there's a networking thing, but maybe I don't feel comfortable in that context. And then I go home. Um, and very few events generate really meaningful connection. But what Jillian's found is this new generation of programs that have an element of facilitated connection. Mm. And the difference there is that you don't just show up and consume and go home. There's some moment in the program where you turn to somebody next to you and mm. you introduce yourself and you talk to each other about something or you do mm. something together. Mm. And in doing, you forge some kind of meaningful connection together. And then you're more likely to go home with a friend with yeah. a, an email address or a phone number of somebody you genuinely, genuinely want to hang out with again. And so uh, that's an area I've been very interested in as well. Yeah. And so Jillian's newsletter is, uh, it's a weekly newsletter and it's now gone totally virtual of events that have uh, an element of meaningful connection. How do we find it? Joylist.com, joylist. Joylist. Joylist.nyc. Joylist.nyc, awesome. Jesse just chimed in and said, what are the three most important characteristics of the Italian Renaissance? Urban society, recovery and individual ability there we go oh my god i have to study the renaissance oh, <laughs> i thank want you, to hear Jesse. more jesse we need yeah. to have you as a guest on a future program <laughs> I, I want you to you just spoke a little bit about um loneliness epidemic and i know it is something that you're passionate about finding solutions for you you talked to me earlier about recipes for belonging i love there's another term i love talk to us about recipes for belonging yeah, so it's a, it's a phrase I've been hatching to describe something that I've seen, which is that um, really good ideas for activities that people can undertake mm -hmm. are eminently replicable. The same way that a good food recipe, you know, you could cook up a good meal, write mm -hmm. up how you did it, and then other people could replicate that in other places and have a good meal. Well, that totally. same principle applies to meaningful quality online uh, or, or in-person community gatherings. And so what I wanted to do, and this is part of what I was doing in my work with Jillian, is understand the models uh, that people are, are using to, uh, uh, to run a good community program and then make that eminently replicable so other people can do it in other places. And what I love about that is that it allows us to create a, a scalable impact uh, with just a really good idea and good documentation, and good communication. Um, mm -hmm. And this is, as I mentioned earlier, how co-working became a thing. The people mm -hmm. who started co-working basically wrote down what they were doing, created public forums for people to share their ideas around the topic, and then said, go run with it, copy it, remix it. And, you know, applied a lot of the, the same kind of open source mindset that you see in software um, to community. And that's why co-working is a household name that's changed our relationship with work forever. And so if you apply that to other types of gatherings, I think we can, that's how we're going to put a dent in the massive issue of loneliness. Yeah. Yeah. Well, part of the, one of the questions that, that I was asked earlier today, I don't know if I'm going to rephrase it very well, but for this WeWork documentary was about the notion that, you know, decades ago, people worked for a company for a decade, for a long time. And now we have such a, the freelance society that we work in and the transient nature of people's commitment to work, to have a co-working community where you even could move amongst companies or visions or pursuits and still feel a sense of community connection, belonging, gathering in, in a workplace. I mean, that's, yeah. that's, therein lies the, the, the necessary nature of, Co the co-working business, right? Yeah, so share a little bit about this workshop that you're creating now. It's a crash course in online organizing. Oh, no, organizing online. Crash yeah. course in organizing online, CCOO. Yeah, uh, yeah, so after uh, 
COVID hit, I had already been doing a lot of work in remote communities. I run a mastermind for co-working space owners where we do a weekly mm-hmm. Q&A over Zoom. And uh, I ran a remote conference last year, uh, a thousand person event called Gathering Summit, where we examined mm-hmm. this loneliness issue and solutions to it. And I realized that um, a lot of the people I had been talking to needed a lot of catching up on how to use Zoom really well as a tool for, for quality facilitation of events and then just good techniques for mm-hmm. actually facilitating a, a good program. So not just getting everybody you know, to sit on Zoom and talk to each other, but how to actually make it a really exciting and fun experience for everybody. Um, cool. And uh, so the crash course covers both of that. It covers uh, really the most important parts of Zoom that you need to understand to be able to run up to an entire conference on it. Uh, it's a really incredible wow. tool. Oh yeah, it's nuts. Like. Zoom is the worst tool for running online events, except for that it's better than every other tool out there by a wide margin. And I've yeah. talked to a lot of people yeah. about this and uh, it, it's great. 15 bucks a month, you can run a whole conference on it. You just have to know how to use the tools really well and it can be a little tricky. So I, I, yeah. I iron out all of that. And then uh, facilitation techniques, really simple things you can do to create incredible deep connection in your online events, um, really easy. So I just go through uh, some of those facilitation techniques. And so mm-hmm. now it's a, I did it live. Now it's a pre-recorded workshop. You can download the workbook and all of that. Uh, that's at cool. nwc.co slash ccoo. And I'll put that in the chat. Awesome. You know what? And I'll make sure I add it also to uh, my post here. Um, but so who's an ideal attendee for that course? Uh, office ma- office managers, say- team leaders. I mean, anyone who's facilitating group gatherings on Zoom, really, right? That's that's really what it comes down to. Yeah, it's anybody yeah. who wants to have a more meaningful online uh, event. Yeah, and and I'm also uh, in particular very interested in online conferences. So if anybody's trying to figure that out, um, online conferences. Yeah, that's thing. Cool. Oh um, yeah. Okay, last question before we go into the lightning round, Tony. What's the best thing to happen to you this year? What is the best thing to happen to me this year? Mm-hmm. Not having COVID, my family not having COVID. Um, I would say that the first thing that came to mind was just that um, my relationship with my lovely lady uh, has been so great and so healthy and nourishing to me. And we celebrated uh, six months from when we first met, right when the lockdowns hit, and we've been sheltering in place ever since. And uh, that's been uh, just so, so valuable and so meaningful to me. Well, if you can shelter and be with someone all the time like that for three months and things are still going well, that's a, an excellent sign. My, my husband yeah, and I absolutely. knew we're, we were the loves of each other's lives because we spent every day together, you know, in the first, uh, <laughs> in the first five months. We moved in after five weeks, and it kept going well, and so we kept it going. By the way, um, my assistant just chimed in and let me know here. The link for your workshop is actually in my bio. So if you go to my profile, click my link tree, um, your workshop, Crash Course in on- Organizing Online, is there in my link tree right now. Um, hi, Jamie Russo, founder of the Global, hey, no, pardon me, director Jamie. of the Global Workspace Association Conference. Awesome. Hello. Yeah, Workspace Association. Um, okay, Jamie, we're about to do the lightning round with Tony. Uh, here we go. Tony, you ready? Yeah. Okay, rename the coronavirus. Rona. The Rona. The, <laughs> the Rona. Rona. The Rona. I love it. What's the best advice you've ever gotten? The best advice I've ever gotten? Holy God. 
<laughs> first, the first um, one that comes to your mind. No pressure. I'm sure you've gotten a lot of great advice. I have too. Yeah, I, I would say roughly it's that um, it's uh, that I have power over my story. That uh, I'm not simply a victim of circumstance. Uh, if I want something to be better, it's up to me to figure out how to make it better. Mm, mm. Where are you turning right now for inspiration? Uh, not someone related to you or something related to you? Where am I turning for inspiration? Um, you know, I get inspiration from this uh, program that I attend once a week called Poetry Lunch. Everybody mm -hmm. gets together and shares their poetry over lunch. And it is so simple and beautiful and fun. Oh, I love it. Are you an early bird or a night owl? You are an Aries Man, like me. Are you, know, you a night owl? I've historically been a night owl, but I've been ping-ponging all over lately. My, I'm, I've, I'm, I'm asunder is the answer to that question. <laughs> what is that word, asunder? What does that mean? Asunder. I'm like, I'm like tumbling all over the place when it comes to my sleep schedule. <laughs> What's your favorite word? My favorite word? Awesome. Mm -hmm. awesome. <laughs> What's your favorite team building activity? Favorite team building activity. Uh, lately, it has been scavenger hunt. Um, so over Zoom or over a you know, video meeting, um, oh, have people go run around their space and find something cool and show it off and tell a story about it. Oh, I like that. What's your favorite icebreaker question or activity? Um, icebreaker question would probably be uh, what's alive for you what, right now? What's alive for you right now? Mm. Yeah, like oh. what's real? What's real for you right now? Because like Ooh. people could take that in any direction they want, and uh, but they can go really serious about it if they want. I love it. What's your favorite business book or podcast? Um, favorite business book or podcast? First one to come to your mind. I would say that. This is kind of a non-answer answer, but um, the artist's way. It's oh, really... I think you're the second person in my last fifty or so interviews to say the artist's way. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's I've a deeply that. spiritually moving book for creative people, um, yeah. and I think a lot of entrepreneurs are artists and creatives uh, who maybe have tried to express themselves through business. Mm, um, yes. So yeah. I love that. Okay, hottest topic during the time of Rona is uh, toilet paper. Uh, do you pull over or under, Tony? I'm an under guy, and I believe under. that that's. I believe it's technically wrong, but I don't care. <laughs> it's just that's how it Woo, works. For me. We added Tony Vachigalupo. <laughs> of all the things to out before, you know, go for it. it. Go for it. That's I fine. Love it. That's fine. I hope we're on a panel together one day and into a huge room. I'm going to say, this guy pulls under. Don't He's listen under. <laughs> Don't listen to him. Oh, my God. I love it. I've okay, been, last I've been question. toilet paper canceled. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> last question. 2020 or 2021? 2020 or 2021? Mm -hmm. That's it? That's it. 2020, baby. All right. We're in the present. Let's make the best of it. Yeah, I feel you. Ooh, I'd say, I, I say, say the work we do now is going gonna, is gonna to decide what the answer is for 21. So um, there you go. 
Amen. Amen. So guys, this is Tony Bacigalupo, founder, co-founder of one of the first co-working, the first co-working space in New York City, MC gatherer, artist, facilitator of meaningful connection. Please go to my link tree. You can learn more about his crash course in organizing online. He has another workshop for people who want to build self-organizing communities also um, on gum.co slash self-organized. Thank you so much for being my guest today and uh, wishing you continued enjoyable quarantining with your lady. Yay. Thank you so much for having me, Lisa. Best of luck. Let's keep in touch. Keep up the great work. Totally. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. Have a good weekend. Bye. Bye.